Welcome to episode 96 of the FLW Podcast in Benton, Kentucky. I'm Jody White. I'm joined by, from Hopkins, Minnesota, Kyle Wood. Hey, hey. Kyle, um, we've got we got kind of an interesting show ahead this week because we don't really have any actual topics to talk about. We're going we're, yes. we're gonna to just kind of, the topics portion of the show is going to basically be us bantering, which I mean, obviously, is an extremely popular thing, or maybe it's not. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyhow, we'll uh, we'll banter a little bit. Then we've got an interview with Jimmy Reese. We haven't done that yet, but I'm assuming it'll get done. We'll talk about fires, California, Ultra Giants, how he came through his first season, uh, what he needs to do to improve on his fantasy fishing punditry. Um, <laughs> then Kyle and I are gonna talk about reviews. Uh, what we like, what we don't like, what the listeners might like. We'll talk about some small fallmouth, <laughs> small small fallmouth fishing, <laughs> um, or something like that, <laughs> or fall smallmouth fishing. Whatever, however you want to look at it, but we'll talk about it. That too. Uh, then we'll run through the college fishing event we had over the weekend, the slate of BFL super tournaments, and then we'll so be many. out of here. So many, but it was the last Super Tournament weekend, right? Uh, yeah, it was. So, so you're the the super the BFL action is going to slow down now. We've got just the regionals and the wild card ahead of us. Yep. Um, and I suppose in that BFL section, we'll probably mention the wild card that we've got a location for it and all that jazz, and then mm-hmm. we should be done. Yes. So Kyle, I know we want to save some of uh some of your banter for our smallmouth section here. Mm-hmm. But have you had any other than your, you know, smallmouth superlative action, have you had anything else going on? Um, well, I guess after um after the podcast last week, uh myself and Chris Bergen and uh Brian Johnson went uh went out on the water for the day uh to shoot some shoot some photos for a few reviews we're going to have coming on the, on the website. Um, and also just got to, uh, got to fish a little bit being that Brian Johnson, our PR guy, uh, has never fished before in his life. Basically. Uh, we felt the need to, you know, kind of submerse him in the culture of bass fishing on a firsthand basis. And that was interesting. Interesting in what ways? How did, well, give me the give me the lowdown on this. Well, I mean, for a guy going out and learning to throw a baitcaster for the first time, uh, he only ruined one of my reels that I had to cut all the line off and retot or and respool. Okay. Um, which was, I mean, about three reels less than I figured he would ruin. So he had that going for him. Actually, picked up on it pretty quick. He caught a fish on a frog. He caught a fish on a chatterbait, and. Um, I mean, for a guy that seems pretty clueless, he uh, he's a quick learner. It surprised me a lot. I know Bergen was pretty surprised as well. That being said, Bergen and I put on a clinic, and he was feeling a little down. 
but uh was was he just, suitably you know, it's hard by your prowess uh a little bit yeah i think so i think it, think it caught him off guard a little bit okay as Bergen and i were slinging four pounders into the boat he was uh kind of like well god dang what's why the deal so why wasn't he catching him because obviously if you're in the same area and he can make an <laughs> adequate cast, what's the situation here? Right. Well, part of it is that he didn't pay attention. So I was basically, we were fishing uh, scattered pads, and then there were some mats of milfoil and coontail and stuff like that. Uh, I was basically using the Mark Daniels Signature Series Kistler Rod. Um, and I was just punching the whole time, flipping a big weight and a plastic around. Um kind of basically backing up Bergen, who was throwing a frog. Now, uh, Brian was in the back, also with a frog, and he just, like, he wouldn't pay attention to where Bergen was casting. He basically cast a lot to where Bergen had already fished. Nothing new. And his accuracy isn't very good. So a lot of times this frog didn't make it that far from the boat uh, for the, at least the first half of the day before he could really figure out you know, how to get a good follow through and really get like when to release the frog to get it to sail the furthest mm-hmm. and all that. Um, so some of it was like just straight up him being so new to casting, he wasn't really putting it in the right place. I mean, and they weren't, the fish weren't all that picky, but they were definitely like little, you know, those little targets in the pad fields that you had to have your frog by, whether it was a, you know, a spot where the milfoil met right up to the pads, like something pretty obvious like that or a point. A lot of the fish were actually up on the bank. So if you got your frog to basically land on shore and drug it off, you'd get bit in the first five feet. And he didn't quite have that amount of distance. I also had the reel dialed down pretty tight um, so that it was a lot harder for him to get a backlash. I'd rather have him cast shorter distances, yeah, and not get a backlash than, you know, be able to bomb it as far as he possibly could and backlash every time. But by the end of the day, I did I did dial it down a little bit, and Bergen kind of put his rod down, and we kind of basically started telling Beach where to cast, and he kind of started figuring it out then, and that's when he started catching fish. But it was kind of funny because as we're going along, I was catching fish on a chatterbait. I caught him, uh, you know, flipping that big weight. Caught a few on, uh, caught some on a swim bait. I mean, like just I was rotating through a few different rods trying to fish something different, and every time I'd catch one. Or every time Bergen would catch one, he'd be like, well, how come I can't do that? I'm like, Beach, you got to get through working on casting first before we can move to new presentations. Let's just get let's get one thing dialed in at a time, and we'll we'll go from there. Well, I tell it you- was kind of funny to explain that to him. Like, hey, man, I'd love to let you throw some other stuff, but let's, you know, figure out how this whole fishing thing works first. Well, if we can get him, you know, pretty decent on at least, you know, at least making the cast, that's... That's a big part of the battle, especially with a bait caster. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think you need to introduce him to skipping docks anytime soon, but I oh, think maybe no. oh, chatterbait no. could be a, could be a good move next time out. Who knows, right? Yeah, and that's that's I let him I let him have a few casts at the end of the day with the chatterbait, and he caught one pretty quick on it. And uh, he's all all he's been talking about since is is that day of fishing. So I think we got him hooked. Well, that's a that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Um. All right. Did you make it out fishing over the weekend? Uh, yeah. So my sister came down for the weekend, and we went. We fished for like about two hours on Saturday, 
Well, okay. Yeah. Two hours on Saturday down at the south end of Barkley because there's uh, there was a super tournament going out of Moore's right by me. So I was like, well, I'll stay off the lake while there's a hundred some odd dudes zipping around. Um, which I mean, I'm sure the lake was less a lot less busy than it would be on a regular weekend. But I don't need to be stealing BFL guys' fish by accident. Sure. Um, so I went down there and we did uh we did pretty good actually. Like we were catching fish pretty steady. Nothing really big, but you know, keepers. Um, yeah, that's fun. And then we got off the water. Uh, we didn't spend a whole lot of time out. And we sort of came back and explored some of the LBL stuff and whatnot. And then Sarah had to leave on Saturday night, so I went out after she left and went fishing uh, for a little bit on Kentucky Lake and had a really pretty good evening rise, actually. Like, I caught a couple, caught one pretty good one, lost one that I think was really really good like i had him on just for a second on the top water and i sort of saw the i didn't he didn't he kind of just sucked it down but i you know when i hooked up it was that momentary splash and working on the water and then it was off. oh yeah um so i was kind of bummed about that because i thought i had a i could have been a good one um and then let's see i fished sunday i caught some fish but nothing crazy so you know kind of meh Hey, at least you were fishing. Yeah. No, I mean, I've been, it's, it's nice because I've been able to, like, every time out, I can catch keepers, you know, I can catch little fish. I don't know really where the big fish are at yet, but I'll figure that out eventually. Maybe. You got time. Um, yeah, baby. <laughs> maybe, you never know. Um, but no, it's been, it's been good, and man, the weather is so nice. I mean, it's been just, gosh. Oh, Yeah. It's so... I, I always forget how nice it is. Well, I don't forget, actually. I know how nice it is, because, you know, growing up in Vermont, it's like that in the summer almost all the time. It's so nice to not be, like, extremely hot, for it to not be 95, for it to oh, be yeah. low 80s, 70s. Like, it, there's there's no beating that kind of weather, where you can go out, and if you want to fish in jeans and a long sleeve, you can get away with it, or if you want to wear shorts and a long sleeve, or... You know, you can get away with it. And it's just, that temperature is just so prime. Oh, yeah. Fall, like that early fall-ish, where you're not like, I guess, you know, when I think of fall in Minnesota, I'm thinking like a hooded sweatshirt, jeans, maybe even need a light jacket in the morning kind of thing. Yeah. But what you're talking about there, I mean, that is, that's the deal. Yeah, fall weather is pretty awesome. Even when it yeah. gets cold, like a lot of times, you know, it's just, you know, you just put on a coat in the morning and you peel off to a sweatshirt at the end of the day or something like oh, that. yeah. And that's that's prime. Um, all right. Well, I tell you what. Let's go ahead. Let's break. We'll get Jimmy Reese on the line, and uh, then we'll be back, and we'll talk a little fishing. Let's do it. And now we're joined by Jimmy Reese from out in California. We're sort of getting ready to ramp up and talk a little bit of Clear Lake and some Rayovacs, and Jimmy's coming off his... Well, not as technically his rookie year on the FLW Tour, but real close to his rookie year on the FLW Tour. Um, and the fires are almost all contained or entirely contained in California. So, Jimmy, how's how's your off-season gone, first of all? Yeah, Jody. Uh, actually, the off-season has gone pretty well. Um, I mean, there's some some things happening in the area around Clear Lake that we're, we're dealing with this past month and, uh, you know, with the fires and everything, but pretty much, uh, you know, went 
to ICAST in Florida and, and had a great time there and, um, you know, built some relationships and uh, went to the Forest Wood Cup, saw you guys and saw a great show. I saw Brad Knight take the, uh, the trophy home, which was really cool, you know. Um, so, and got a little bit of golf, a little bit of fishing and uh, spending time with the family. So it's going good. All right, all right. Um, for the so, I guess I'll ask straight up. You know, we rescheduled the Rayovac from sometime mm-hmm. in September to you know coming up, uh, sort of middle of October. I'm clear. Like, what do you, what do you think about that call? You're not necessarily in the running to go fish um, the championship, so maybe that maybe doesn't affect you so much. But you know, you were on the ground out there. Do you think that was the right move, or was it something where guys could have fished? Well, here's the the scenario. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it affected you know a lot of the uh, the fishermen and as far as their schedules. And I actually was scheduled to fly to Minnesota that week with my wife. Um, and you know, but you know, it's you're just gonna have to make some changes. And there's gonna be people that didn't make it, um, but there's also gonna be some guys that are gonna make it because of you know there was schedule conflicts before. But you know it. I don't think they could have done it. And, and the reason being is, you know, there's uh, over 1,900 structures that have been burned down in the Lake County area. And over 12, 1,200 of them were homes. Um, you know, it's a real rural area and lots of uh, farm animals and also horses. And so, you know, these families, um, they had to go somewhere. And, and basically all the hotels are booked. And, you know, people are looking for places to stay. We actually took in uh, three different families. Uh, we knew one of them. And um, so we've had three different families at our house on our property uh, for the past few weeks. Um, just, you know, just being there for them, you know, cooking, you know, giving them to stay just got to be comfortable so they figure out what, uh, what they're all going to do. And, uh, um, and it actually took, it took time. Um, for them to realize, you know, where they were at, you know, as far as was their house burnt down, people were actually running for their lives. It was like a firestorm. Um, it's, it's the craziest thing. It was 40 to 60 miles. I happened to be down at, at Lake Mead fishing the U.S. Open when it all happened, and, and my poor wife had to pretty much deal with daughter for the first few days, but... You know, a lot of things happened, and so people were just scrambling to, to find places to stay. And so all the hotels are are booked. And um, so even now, um, going into the tournament reschedule in the you know mid October, um, you know it's still going to be easy for for guys to find places to stay. And so I heard the old Kanaktai Harbor. Um, they you know they got they got involved and in, you know they closed down about five six seven years ago and they ended up opening up uh, I believe forty or sixty rooms up there so uh, just giving more you know, facilities for lost their homes so you know it was a good move on FLW's part um, by changing it and um, you know but I still don't think it's going to be perfect when they do get here um, but I think I think everything will be fine as far as having a tournament and everything so. Okay. Crazy stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, that's good to know that. I guess obviously the community has stepped up big time to sort of make sh- make 
you know, to pick people up as best they can. Um, but yeah, I honestly, I had no idea that the fires were, I just sort of, I, I was like, well, yeah, there's fires in California until we, you know, until we were sort of getting close to canceling it. And I feel like I saw, I saw more and more about it and I'm not a, you know, I'm not a news junkie necessarily, but I, I didn't realize how big a deal it was until sort of very close to our actual cancellation. And then I was kind of just floored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, uh, it is, it's, it's, you know, a once, once in a lifetime type thing, you know, California, you know, <laughs> we're known for, for Earth, and, uh, but I can only say I've only been in two major earthquakes, <laughs> but that's too, too many. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, traveling across the U.S., you know, this past year and, you know, the tornadoes and, you know, so far, knock on wood, no hurricanes or anything like that. But, you know, things just, natural things just happen across the U.S. And um, so for this fire, I mean, it, it is a once-in-a-lifetime thing up here, you know. So I think there was one in, in the Bay Area about, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, but it's, you know, things are dry. We haven't had rain for four years, um, and so, you know, things are inevitable, and you get the right conditions with a hot day and a little bit of wind, and you, there's nothing you can do. I mean, you can have as many firemen as you want, and, it's, you know, it's it's not going to help you. Um, so, but, yeah, it's uh, people, and you, you nailed it. You said that people are stepping up. I mean, it's crazy the amount of support um, that we're getting out here. I mean, my wife and, and on Facebook and everything, and all of a sudden, everybody's dropping stuff off at our house. I mean, <laughs> I'm getting goosebumps, but it's just crazy. I mean, there's a couple um, facilities along the lake here, and there's one that's, you know, probably two acres. There's an acre full of just pallets of water and food and clothing. I mean, it's, I mean, it's fill up a Walmart. How much stuff has been donated to, uh, you know, I'll call them victims, but, you know, just for the people, the families here. So there's a tremendous amount of support, and um, and, and it's going to continue to go on, and, and, you know, but for the meantime, these guys are out of homes for a while. So, so Jimmy, you mentioned that, you know, the, you've had a pretty big drought out there. Obviously, I've seen a lot of pictures from Cody Meyer of sort of the more mountain-type reservoirs that are just... I, almost empty just about is uh is clear lake affected by the drought as much as some of these other places are is it super low is it still fishing well what's it going to be like when guys get out there and uh get to work for this rayvac yeah as far as clear lake and, and the reservoirs in california the reservoirs well clearly it's a, a natural lake and they built the dam you know that only affected the lake about six feet. Uh, so it added about six feet uh, of water. Um, and so, you know, these other lakes were like Lake Shasta, Oroville, Boulder's Bar, I mean, where they fluctuate each year, I mean, anywhere from 50 to 150 feet, you know, up, down. Uh, you know, those, yeah, <laughs> it's scary how dry they are. Uh, but Clear Lake, I mean, honestly, it's a foot higher than last year. Um, and last year was the skinniest I've ever seen it, but it only fluctuates, you know, maybe seven, eight feet um, total per year. So, you know, it doesn't affect the lake too much, um, and because it's a natural lake. So, uh, 
as far as the fishing, I expect similar to last year. Um, you know, Aaron Aaron Britt won it. He had, what, about 70 pounds. Uh, I'm anticipating about the same. I mean, it should be good. Uh, this is a week last year. And in the fall, I mean, you know, sometimes a week can be different. I, I actually think fishing might be a little bit. Um, so, you know, it's it's nice to make that last year top ten. You know, so this year, you know, it's probably going to be right around there, right around the 20-pound average to, to crack that top ten. And, um, yeah, no, fishing is good. The, the bait is crazy good. There's so much shad this year. I mean, literally, you can go out in the middle of anywhere. And just there's balls of bait under your boat everywhere. So, you know, how is that? You don't know because, you know, why Why would they chase something worth when it's just make a, a 10 foot swim and there's a whole ball of bait? So, yeah. All right. Well, it sounds like, you know, I, I guess that's good news from the fishing front because they'd rather see, you'd probably rather see too much bait than not enough bait. And, it sounds like you know you're not really lacking for too much water. Um, do you have any? I, I know in the past we've seen like sort of a a big swim bait, a big crankbait bite be a really good recipe to win. There is that this time of year is that, or that time of year is that sort of what you'd expect again, or are we going to see something else? Do I have to? give you all the information <laughs> yes yes you do <laughs> or, oh or as much information as you want to give one or the other oh, yeah yeah <laughs> i want to i want to look at my contract hold on um don't so, do, <laughs> let's just not like make up stuff i mean i know there's a really good spawn there that time of year but that's probably not going to be what the key is right the fish are spawning uh i i bet one out of a hundred people would know that maybe and even then, they're, they're, it's not easy to see them. It wouldn't be easy to see them. So with with that being said, I you know, honestly, last year's crankbait bite just dominated. And, you know, the jig bite is always good. Uh, lots of rock. You know, there's still a ton of crawdads out there. The water temp's still high right now, so I'm anticipating the water's not going to, you know, it's probably going to be about the same uh, temperature as last year. But, you know, I I honestly thought the swim bait was going to dominate last year, and yet the crankbaits did. Um, so, you know, this year that's where it's going to come down to either a shallow crankbait bite, where you're around the docks, the vegetation, um, the dying vegetation, and uh, or you're going to be deep crinking. You know, when I say deep, I mean you're ten to. You know, there, there's a ten to eighteen foot, and then there's also the twenty five foot. So you've got to commit. You know. It's, you know, one or the other kind of a, um, we'll see what, uh, how cold it is. If it's colder, that deep bite might get really good. So, but, you know, it's, that's what it is. I, honestly, I believe that's, it's going to be one of those three ways, you know, shallow crank, deep crank, or, or on jigs, or, I mean, excuse me, on, on, uh, on swim baits. And the jigs will, will help get your, your fish into the boat, you know, your limit fish. So, you know, and there's going to be guys out there throwing sinkos and drop shot rubber worm type of stuff and, and catch fish. But, you know, maybe to help fill in the limit type thing, um, you know, for me, I, I like going fill my limit up shallow. You know, when I say shallow, you know, four, five, six feet. 
you know, throwing a, a lipless or, or you know, a, a vibe bait, like a chatterbait type thing. And um, so, you know, those are the three, three, three to four pounders. I mean, you can always catch a six, seven pounder, of course. But, uh, you know, so that's generally what I like to do. And guys will flip fish, you know, they can go shallow and, and flip fish. A um, little more water this year. Last year, flipping was horrible. I mean, the flippers just, yeah, they did. They didn't get a check. They went home with their tail between their legs. So but this year, another foot of water. Uh, you might see a few more fish um, come in, you know, flip in. So it could pay, it could pay a part, too. So, I mean, this lake is so versatile. You can literally go fish the way they like fish and, and do well, you know. You know as far as one minute, yeah, crankbait. Okay. All right, cool. My uh, my other question, you know, we've got. I'm going to be going out there to cover this thing. Matt will be going out there with me. What what do I need to plan on wearing? Is this like a jeans and a sweatshirt type deal? Can I dress like it's summertime? I've never uh, never been to California before. What do I need to be prepared for weather wise? I'm using you as my travel planner now. By the way, <laughs> okay, well, all right. I got, I got a ticker going here. Um, I would say, you know, it's cool in the morning. Look, right now it's forty-six to fifty-one in the morning. So it's one of those things where first thing in the morning you got your shorts and you got a pair of sweats over it, and you know, that's probably about where it's going to be. It's be where you're going to have a couple layers, but by ten o'clock. You know, just start peeling it off. I've said, always when you're fishing, you always want to be comfortable. Well, wear a ton of clothes. You can always take them off. It's hard to go borrow somebody's jacket when you're freezing. You know, so uh, yeah. So you know, if you got a pair of jeans, it's, it's that's how you want to go. But chances are, it's going to still be warming up in the afternoon. You know, in the evening. Um, so yeah, just just come in layers. All right, I think I can manage that. Yeah. Um, Are you just trying to rub it in that you're going out there and I'm not? We've overlooked the fact that uh, Jody is now covering the tournament uh, because I have to get married that weekend. I am so mostly trying to I will not out. be able to watch guys catch, uh, you know, super hogs. Um, I could have easily told you what to wear. I've, I've been to California before in the in the early fall. Uh, but you know what? You can bring it up now. That's fine. I'm not going to get worked up about it. You just keep on going on with your interview and talking to Jimmy. That's fine. Hey, hey Kyle, you have an open invitation anytime. And oh, okay. Well, then. <laughs> then now, did, back Jody, on board. Yeah. did Jody tell you what we're doing that Wednesday and Thursday yet? Uh, After the I'm, tournament? It involves hogs. I'm pretty sure he's told me (laughs) every day that we speak is, hey, did you know that uh, Jimmy Reese and I are going to catch ultra hogs on Clear Lake? So I am more than aware uh, that you guys are going to be crushing it out there. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, you know, there's always room for another person in the boat. I mean, that would be a great place to celebrate your your wedding and, and your honeymoon, you know, come to Clear Lake. Honey, I'll be back in a few hours. <laughs> you know, the future wife does want to eat some wine country or potentially, I don't, I don't know how much it, uh, 
effective. But she was really mad the last time I went out there that I didn't bring back any uh, any nice wine for her. Uh-oh. Uh, I did – the size of the pine cones out there are giant. I've seen some of the biggest pine cones on the side of the road. So I brought her back a big pine cone. That was my souvenir from Clear Lake. <laughs> and she didn't appreciate it. I don't know what her deal was. <laughs> Yet she's still going to marry you. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> After you brought her a pine cone. Kyle, I mean, we need I to have could, a talk. We need to have a I talk. Could, I could have got her a nice bottle of wine, but I found all these giant pine cones. They're huge, man. Jody, I'm telling you, you have a pine cone when you're out there, bring it on back, put it on the mantle, put it on your desk, whatever you want. They're super cool. All right. All right. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> uh, good stuff. But yeah, there are there are a lot of vineyards actually around uh, Clear Lake and and popular vineyards. Some you know wines you guys see in your stores everywhere around here. And so um, yeah, actually good friends too. Fetzer's a good friend and Parducci's good friends. So, yeah, good people. Oh, that sounds have, uh... like you need to figure out a wine slash fishing vacation in the near future, Kyle. Um, yep, sounds like it. <laughs> you need to make that happen. <laughs> So, so Jimmy, as far as you know, your your first season here, how did it how did it go for you o- overall? If there's any specific events you want to get into, because you were you were right on the bubble to make the cup. I wrote about I wrote about you in my you know Forestwood Cup Bubble Boys article, and then it just didn't quite happen at the Potomac. So, what uh, what what was the deal? What was, how did it go this year? Well, that's a good question. You know, I feel I feel good about what happened. Um, you know, even though, like you said, just near misses. It was just that's what the year was. It was just near misses. You know, miss missing a check by three ounces on Chickamauga, missing a check on the Potomac by five ounces, Beaver Lake ten ounces, and then of course missing a cup by seventeen points. You know, almost like one fish, you know, one three, four, five pounder during the year just kind of changes a lot of things for the whole year. And, you know, I'm good with my decision-making. You know, Toho, you know, I don't know which term is to get into, but Toho, the first term of the year, I was actually very relaxed, you know. And, I mean, I was excited. Obviously, all year I've waited a long time to, you know, to go do this and, you know, but I had about a four-hour period where I just wish I went on what I said. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's what cost me so much, you know, but, and that's why you just have to fish flawless during the year to, you know, to reap the rewards. But, you know, I had a four-hour period there where, you know, I lost six fish in a row. And I, I just caught in about almost five pounds. And I knew... You know, first term of the year, I'm going to get a check. I'm going to be in that top 30, 40 for sure. And, hey, maybe I'm going to get lucky and get one of those big bites, you know. And I went in the last six fish in a row. And I'll tell you what, it was just, that was probably the down moment of the year um, was that first tournament, second day. And, you know, it, it just scoffs me. But, you know, other than that, I mean, it was a flawless year. I fished good. I made good decisions. So I feel good about a lot of things. Um, you know, so, yeah, you know, being the first year, I mean, I don't like playing that because I feel like, you know, hey, I should be right there, you know, and and, and I do. I feel like I belong there. I know a lot of those guys from the past from 
all the Rayovac years and you know Strand years and you know so been to the championships and, and met all those guys and so I have a you know a lot of good friends out there so you know that part of it you know is, is good so you know I'm, I'm more than eager and excited to get out there next year um, you know I, I, I got a couple checks you know Chickamauga got a check and uh, you know so but it, it did it came down to the Potomac River and making the cut. Um, and you know, I, the second, first day I did what I was supposed to. And the second day I just, I ran out of time. I was catching clone two pounders and I just never got that three, three and a half pound bite and, uh, you know, to get me into the cup. So, but here we are. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, again, I pretty good about it. I feel good about it and made a lot of great contacts and good relationships, you know, on the business side of everything. And uh, I know next year, I mean, we're all ready to go for 2016, and I'm, I'm fired up. I, I mean, I've been, like I said, I'm waiting this for a long time. So I think, I think 2016 is going to be a really good year. So I love the schedule. Absolutely love the schedule. So one question I wanted to ask. Uh, at Chickamauga, I remember talking to you. It was either the first or the second day. And you were saying that you were kind of kicking yourself for going down to Nick Jack, I think. Oh, um, and I, in 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 hindsight, has that has that changed at all for you? Oh, you're killing me! How come you bring that up? Look, I'm I I day. have a I have a good memory. I'm a reporter. This is like <laughs> I'm like doing my job at a high level right now, to be honest, you which is unusual. <laughs> well. You know, you you have to trust your instincts, and but experience is so pivotal in in at this level. You know, when you're at the high level with the best, you can mistakes. And you know, hindsight, when I do it again, oh gosh, you know, you just gotta follow that gut feeling sometime. You know, and you know, yeah, I did. I, I locked down a nick jack and. I sit there and watch James Biggs fight these two catfish that, well, we never saw them. I mean, he thought of them for 30, 40 minutes. Never saw them, you know. I still think it was like a, a I don't know, like a tunnel uh, where it was sucking water and his jig just got stuck in there and it was pumping it all the way up <laughs> to uh, Chickamauga. You know, I don't know, but, uh, you know, Biggs, Biggs did well down there, you know, and there was only three or four of us. And but the thing is, at 10:30, I decided to leave, and guess what? That's when they turned that water on at 11 o'clock. And so that's the only part I just dread. It's like, man, I should have stuck it out and and just. But you know, I want I wanted the points. You know, I want to get to the top, go catch my limit, and just try to survive the tournament. And it was it was just another 30 minutes waiting, and and things could have could have turned out all different for the whole year. You know, but. Practice was really good down there. <laughs> That's all I can say. Um, so, yeah, you're killing me, Jody. All right. Oh, <laughs> one one other question. So you've got uh, sort of about fishing and surviving here. You've got uh, you got four wins with FLW. Uh, one in a BFL when we were when we used to do them out west, and then uh, one Rayovac win on clear and. Two Rayovac wins on the Delta. 
and I assume you weren't just trying to survive in those tournaments. <laughs> you know, you were, well, you weren't. You were whacking on them just about every day. So what's, uh-huh. uh, do you feel like that's just a, that you just never got into a situation in practice where you could fish to fish like you were winning the tournament? Or is it a different level being on tour versus fishing in a rayovac? Or what's, what, what's the, what's the deal there? Because, you know, there are some guys on tour who I, I think they probably, even though maybe they say they're trying to survive, they're not trying to survive necessarily. They, they're going into everyone with the, mentality that they might be it might be getting might be about to get a win like you know i don't think david dudley's ever would ever say i was trying to survive not that right. you know sure. you're not that you should be saying that necessarily you know what i mean mm-hmm. well yeah i mean there's a there's a few different things going on here and you know you're right i mean clearly both delta tournaments uh because i had a lot of history on these places I knew what I could fall back on to catch whatever fish. You catch big fish, but you're right. I mean, I wasn't in survival mode. Let's, I was going for it. Um, but, well, let me backtrack. You know, Clear Lake, you know, when I won that rail back on Clear Lake, I was throwing swim baits and jigs in practice, and it snowed on us. The water, temp, everything changed that first day of the tournament. So, my fallback pattern <laughs> after four hours of not being bit was throwing a little out start head, you know, like a shaky head, my margarita mutilator on there. And that's how I won that tournament was with that little six-inch worm, just so you know. Fallback. Sometimes it pays off. Sometimes, you know, you're just fishing to catch fish. But, you know, the, the mentality, like you said, of Dudley and everything, I, I think... Once you have experience on lakes, it's kind of a starting point and a fallback point of of also doing well. I mean, so I feel more comfortable, you know, going after it, you know, just going for the win once I've had, you know, a week of experience on a certain lake. And so that's kind of my, my was my mental approach this year is like, you know, I need to find fish. I need to find areas of fish. And, you know, did I find the fish to win on any of the lakes? Um, yeah, actually, like Smith Lake, I thought you were watching me out there. I thought I had the mother load. Yep. I was catching those three, four-pound spots in practice, and, man, I just couldn't get them to eat. So, you know, but so the fallback pattern ended up being a Cinco and Fluke around the docks and shorelines and a couple different creeks, and, you know, got to check, but... You know, I don't know how how long do you sit there and force feed these big old spots? You know, it's like at some point you got to go. Okay, uh, go get a check, or do I just sit here and finish 130th? So I don't know. That's that's the question I guess we always ask. But I'll tell you what, this rayback coming up, I'm not fishing points. <laughs> Game on, you're gonna see you're gonna see eight to ten flipping sticks. You know, not with flipping baits on there, but you're going to have big baits on my, on the deck of my boat. So you're going to be bringing the heat. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, we're going to have fun. So that you know, that's a good question for for all the anglers, and you know, just you know, when do you fish for the win, and when do you just you know, when do you have to make adjustments to catch fish? You know, so all right, that's well, the game that's the game we play right there. 
Yeah, that's for sure. And it's a it's a really it's an impossible question to answer, I would say, and or maybe not impossible. It's a very hard one to answer answer well because even if you mm-hmm. e- even if you aren't often fishing to survive, it's hard, it's it's just hard to put that 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 decision making process into words because so much of what makes a you know someone you know a great tournament angler isn't is their ability to make those decisions and make those adjustments on the water and that's not that's not something you can very easily write down into an article and i honestly i've never read one that uh that i would say really describes that or at least teaches somebody how to do that Mm -hmm. yeah no you're right and it is the on on the water decision making that that separates everybody and and, you know and making the right decisions you know is what you know consistency the angler of the year i mean that's all that decision making that's what that's for because you know when you're going for the win every tournament you're I, my guess is you're not going to be in the top 10 in angler of the year points but you know your bank account might be pretty good you know so, so i guess you got to decide which way you want to go and you know in first wood cup you got to change five hundred thousand. so you don't have to win tournaments to make that one in 50 chance to win five hundred thousand. you know and you just get in that top 35 and and you got a chance, you know. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of um, the tour professionals, you know, that's what they, that's what they're trying to do, to get there to be the Brad Knight, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, I think good that's, I, I think that's a good point. Um, at one other part of your season was that you were, uh, you were one of our fantasy fishing pundits, and. Uh, first of all, I hope we get you back next year as a uh, as a pundit again for round two. Absolutely. Oh, I'm there. I'm there. All right. Because your uh, your picks were bar none the most entertaining to read and the most challenging to edit. Uh, they were way up there on the on the fun scale. Um, uh, you know, God gave me a sense of humor, and it happens to be really dry. I mean, I can't help you on that. One. But I appreciate the editing because I know you're looking after me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as as far as that went, you kind of had like a really up and down season. Um, did you did you like uh, picking yourself in these tournaments or picking other people and doing that? Were you able to sort of separate it out well from your actual fishing? Because I know some guys who really they don't like anything about fantasy fishing. They don't they don't want you to pick them. They don't want to uh, they don't. They don't want you to write about them. They just want they're 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 superstitious almost about it. So what's your oh yeah what's your stance? Yeah, well that's why I hate mail. I can figure that out. That all makes sense now. So actually, I you know I kept picking myself because my wife is like she's pro you know she plays these mind games. She's like, well, are you confident or not? I'm like, well of course I'm confident. Well <laughs> then you need to pick yourself. I'm like, yeah, but then I have to come up with something to write about. <laughs> he needs to write about somebody else. Uh, so make, maybe next year I won't pick myself. Just, I'll just make the rule. It's the Jimmy Reese rule. I'm not picking myself. Um, <laughs> but honestly, it's kind of blast. And you know, and I didn't use any inside information on my picks. You know, I didn't say, you know, hey Scott Martin, are you gone? Are you on? You know, I I just didn't do that. You know, I. I, I did my homework like you guys did. I spent a few hours, you know, researching and, you know, past history and, and, you know, 
my gut feeling on you know you know as a as the tour went on you know i started learning how these guys fish because you know where i see them and their styles and everything and so you know um yeah it was fun i mean it was it was a blast being able to do that and uh, you know this next year uh, i hopefully get a little better because you know i also like clicks you know there's clicks of groups of people and you know where i hang around and so, you know, I got to give them a little love because, you know, they get, how come you didn't pick me? You know, and <laughs> you don't want to be that guy at the dinner table, you know. So, all right, next next time I'll pick you. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, I'm I'm competitive. I, you know, you're part of fantasy football, right? You got a couple leagues coming. Well, I don't think Kyle does that, but I've got, I've got just no, one. No, I, I avoid fantasy football. It's, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, st- I steer clear. I do fantasy fishing reluctantly. Um, <laughs> and the, I, <laughs> But I do it. But when it comes to fantasy football, I mean, here's the thing. I like to waterfowl hunt a lot. So most of my time in the fall is spent. I don't want to have to worry about, like, pick. Yeah. I, I could do the auto draft thing. But I feel like I would, if I ever got into fantasy football, I would go far too deep into it. And I'd be constantly like on my phone and I'd be in way too many leagues and it'd be a bad deal. Yep. So I just, I just steer clear. I just let my buddies talk about it. I let everyone else have fun with it. I go chase ducks and geese around all fall and watch football occasionally. But, uh, and then I just come into the office and listen to Joe and Patterson and, and hear, you know, about the office league and all, how everyone's, Hating life, yeah. and then the next week they love it. <laughs> hey, yeah, I'm well, right now in that league, I'm loving it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Dude. see, Kyle, you're you're smart. You're living your dream, and and we're saying you're living somebody else's dream, doing the fantasy. So. Yeah, yeah. There, see, that's a good point. That's also what I'm getting yeah. at. <laughs> you're smart. See, I have the mistake of for it's been thirty. Well, how old am I? Thirty-two years now. We've been doing fantasy football. There's a group wow. of ten of us from high school. We we literally at lunchtime in high school or junior senior years would go get the newspaper and sit there and figure out ten percent of yardage, ten percent of this, that, and the other. I mean, that's the craziest thing. And that's all, all of that time I can't get back. <laughs> <laughs> and now now you've got it on your phone and it just spits it out automatically. <laughs> I know, I know. So, but hey, it's good times being able to. To be a pundit, so no, I'd love to do it again next year, and and I I got to figure out a system to get better because I really wasn't that good. So, but Kyle, oh Joe, do you win it? Sorry, what was that? Did you win the the the, the pundits? Yes, we I did. There. Yeah, yes, I all did. right. I almost Number coughed one. it up. I almost coughed it up at the cup, and Kyle almost came back and and grabbed it. Yeah. But man, it's mm-hmm. such a good cup. <laughs> Dude, you crushed it at the cup. How many in I the mean, top ten did you get? Uh, four? Hmm. I think. I, I can tell you in a second five? here. So four? You yeah, had, I was going to say. I, uh, here had, we go. You had Ramey Colson, Jacob Wheeler, Brian Thrift, Zach Burge, did, and Larry Nixon. So they were all oh. in the top. And Mark Daniels Jr. So they were all in the top ten. That's oh yeah, so that's okay. That was, a lot. that was a lot. Adams yeah. is the guy that I gotta have a word with about that. 
gotta I gotta call him up sometime and just be like, hey man, uh, I know you're trying to win a half million dollars, but uh, you really screwed me in fantasy fishing. <laughs> I could have swept it hard, but uh, oh well. Yeah. Whereas, so you had one guy finish below twenty second, and I had three guys finish in the forties. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and Cody Meyer, which, come on, Cody, what are you doing? Oh, come on. When, I know. I picked Cody. <laughs> I know. When does he do bad? Jeez. Apparently then. <laughs> See, I, I could sense yeah. it. Hmm. Stores must have ran out of diapers, and he was focused on that. Taking care of <laughs> yeah, may, maybe. Um, which, uh, yeah, we'll see how that, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, he'll be back next year. No worries. <laughs> he'll be he'll be ready to rock. Yeah, um, yeah. All right, Kyle, you got anything else? Because I'm I'm kind of tapped out of my, you know, Jimmy Reese topics. Although I'm sure I'll discover some in the future when I go fishing with him for a couple of days on Clear Lake. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I knew you were going that way. No man, hey, I'm good. That was a, that was a good talk, man. Congratulations, Kyle. Thank you, sir. Yep, You're, it's it's a it's a great way to go. So happy for you. So maybe uh, Jody, yep. I'm gonna save a couple spots for us. I'm not even gonna go to them for our, our Wednesday Thursday fishing tournament that we have. Well, that, I'll uh, even let you run the front of the boat at the time. Okay, Whoa. I feel like that's a trap. I, that's like that. That one, it's like, oh yeah, you're gonna want to go that way, and then you're gonna cast off to the left. It's like, oh, to the secret rock pile over here. I didn't tell you about that. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, that one sounds like you got really good friends. Uh, I'm not so sure about that, but uh, yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to it. Um, I'm Kyle. I'm sure he's very looking, very much looking forward to getting married. Uh, Jimmy, before we let you go, do you have any uh, do you have any places you want people to follow you online, uh, track you down, uh, anything you want people to send people to? Uh, sure. Uh, I have my uh, website, which is jimmyreese.com, and um, I also have a Facebook page, uh, Jimmy Reese Professional Angler. So if you like that page, you can follow me, and um, you can get in touch with me and my sponsors and going on and uh yeah well sounds good man i look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks um it's been a pleasure as usual yeah i appreciate it for you coming up and uh like i said we're gonna find it's always good october on clearly all righty <laughs> i like it <laughs> all righty so kyle you and i we've both kind of been working on more I guess more reviews and more stuff like that than we would have in during the season because we got probably yes. more time to sort of sit down and write non-FLW tour related stuff uh, and just more time to fish and if we need to go out and take photographs to go out and take photos and stuff like that and sort of put it all together mm-hmm. and today up on the site I put a number 8 tackle uh, blackout review up I've got a couple other rod reviews on tap for upcoming weeks. You've been fishing with uh, this Mark Daniels Jr. rod, so I guess what do you like to see? What do you like to see in a review, or what's your review writing and review getting philosophy? Well, I guess you know the biggest thing um, 
when I sit down as someone that is legitimately interested in something, so if I see a review on whatever fishing website or really anything, um, and I'm legitimately interested in maybe purchasing or, you know, thinking about getting a new rod, reel, bait, whatever it is, um, I don't really want the feedback or the stats of that particular product, if you know what I'm saying. So I don't really care to have all of the gear ratios and the weight of the reel and all that basically just like regurgitated to me in paragraph form um, or whether it's the rod, I can look all that up online, right? Um, I want to know more like how the particular person that's writing the thing is interested in the performance of it, right? And compared to other things they've used. So, you know, for myself, and I think, you know, you're the same way and, and some of the other guys on the staff, when we're testing something, I'm basically, I'm not comparing it like, oh, here's this rod, uh, this Mark Daniels rod. It's seven feet, 11 inches long. I mean, sure, you mentioned some of that just so people get an idea what the rod is like. But at the same time, I'm going to compare it to the other flipping sticks I own or have used and kind of give you an idea as to what it's like. Um, or, you know, it'd be the same thing with a bait. It'd be the same thing with a rod, a reel. You know, just just let the reader really get that inside feel um, for like, well, you know, Kyle Wood thought this rod, uh, you know, for the way he likes to flip, he likes more parabolic rods. So he really liked this rod for flipping. But I'm more of a broomstick type of fisherman, so I'm probably not going to buy that rod kind of thing is what I ultimately want the reader to get away from it. You know what I mean? And I feel like there's some reviews that really knock that home. Uh, some guys out there that write reviews like that, that, you know, you get that sense of like, okay, now I have an understanding of what this particular product is like. And I feel like there's some that are just a big sales pitch for a particular product and you really don't gain anything from the review, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I hear you. One thing I like is sort of being able to, is if I can come away from reading that with an idea of what I'm going to fish it for. And granted, that sort of it, because so like a flipping stick, you basically know you're going to flip with it. But you also mm-hmm. might want to know, well, is it going to be a good umbrella rig rod, you know? Sure, sure. Or is it something I'm going to feel comfortable throwing a big swim bait on too, you know? And Absolutely. Yeah, can you get more bang for your buck kind of thing? Yeah, and not every not every rod is good for that, you know? Like there are, mm-hmm. there are rods that are, while they're a good umbrella rig rod and a good flipping stick, aren't really going to be the deal for tossing a big swim bait because they're just not right for that. Um or, you know, there are jig rods that are probably a great jig rod. Um, or, sorry, let's say there are rods that are maybe a great medium-sized swim bait rod, maybe a good dragon mm-hmm. rod, but maybe not really a good flipping rod because it's not quite fast enough or something like that. Sure. And I think if I think that's one thing that if you can, if you can figure out what you're going to use it for based on reading a review, that's pretty yes. sweet. Which, unfortunately, everybody has their own preferences you know so they do and and i feel like if at least you can give and especially in rods because there's so many of them and everyone has a seven three medium heavy or a seven foot medium uh, but you know, you know a lot of those actions kind of vary depending on the manufacturer of the blank too so you know uh take st croix for example i always felt like their blanks ran stiffer than like i feel like shimano runs a little bit lighter usually yeah, yeah, and you so you you know you want a medium heavy, and you know 
you know, from past experience, oh, I want this kind of rod for a swim bait. I want this seven, four medium heavy, but you get it. And it turns out to be a little lighter than you expected. Now, you know, those certain size swim baits you want to throw, you're kind of thinking, well, what else am I going to do with this rod? But you didn't know that going into it. Yeah. And that's kind of what I hope we can bring across in the review is before you think about purchasing that rod or, you know, if a buddy's got one and you borrow it, you kind of at least know, like, it may not be your style of rod, but maybe we at least put the idea in your head like, hey, you know, the rod was designed for this, but it sounds like it would be really good for doing, throwing a buzz bait, which I love to do, or something like that. And then you can get, you know, a benefit out of the rod that the, the manufacturer may not necessarily promote the rod as, you know what I mean? Yeah, because there's a, there's like, there's a pretty defined difference between, uh, like, what would be... Like, I guess most, a good spinnerbait rod and a good jig rod are pretty similar rods, but they are, mm-hmm. you know, but there is a, there is a little bit of a difference between them. And I feel like what could make a good swim bait, a good medium sized swim bait rod and a good spinnerbait rod is not necessarily going to make a good jig rod. And I think sort of finding, yes, trying to tell people where those niches are, where they overlap and where they don't is, is a big part of it. Cause that's what. I mean, that's why you read a review is to get the actual use of it and whether, and of course, whether yes. it held up too, which I think that's a, or whether you expect it to hold up, which I think that's an important component as well. Mm-hmm. And there's and, and there's some websites out there that do a really good job of doing reviews, uh, like reading um, stuff or whether it's particular authors, but I just feel like there's so many reviews you see are just like this huge sales pitch for a rock. And, you know, like you, not, you don't even hear like a lot of negatives sometimes, you know, whether it's, whether it's a style thing about the rod, like, you know, how it looks or functionality of something, maybe the, the trigger on a bait caster rod, you know, on the real seat is set in a weird spot. So, uh, if you like to hold your hand in the middle of the seat or between middle finger and ring finger, you know, it feels weird, like those little things that you may not think about. Um, but at least someone brings it to the forefront and says, Hey, here's a great rod. Here's some things I don't really like about it. You know, let this soak, take it in and now go look at the rod yourself. Good deal. Um, yeah. So we need to really, we talk about rods. Is there anything, I don't know, like, is there anything bait wise you like to see in a review? Because I've, I've never really attempted to write a review of a bait because really all it would consist of is like, I use this bait a lot or I don't use this bait a lot. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and if I think it's a good bait, I'll keep using it. If I don't, I'm, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't have an idea for what I would write for a typical bait review. Yeah, off the top of my head, I think, um, I think it's kind of along the same lines. You're right in that it's a little more of a, oh, I think you, you definitely need to fish it a lot more because you do need to come away with the prowess of like, you know what, this this just doesn't for me. This is what I like to see in a jig and this jig doesn't have, you know, this feature, or this feature. I like maybe the, maybe the uh, guard is too thin, too thick. Uh, maybe it doesn't trim as well. Uh, the weed guard, you know, doesn't trim up as well. Maybe the skirt falls apart, you know, like the band, whatever, however that skirt is held on the jig, maybe it breaks after 10 fish, you know, um, something that you wouldn't necessarily think about, or maybe it's the hook, maybe the hook itself, too thin, uh, too thick for the cover you like to fish around the most. Um, 
I think those kind of things are a jig or a crankbait or a, it's more of the, I think you got to kind of burn the bar itself and look at components on it and review that a little bit. And then also, um, you know, maybe again, maybe it's a use outside of what you would think to do with the jig. Maybe you buy, um, say you buy some jig and it's kind of like an arky style head, um, but the way it's shaped, it doesn't really come through cover. Um, you know, like maybe it doesn't really roll over rocks the way you would hoped it would. And you like to fish a lot of riprap, but maybe it makes a great dock skipping jig because of that, you know, flatter face to it. Um, you know, so maybe you kind of, same thing. You shed some light on an aspect you wouldn't have necessarily thought about for that jig. Maybe it doesn't excel where you hoped it did, and, but you found another use for it in this type of cover kind of a deal. I dig it. Yeah. All right, so Kyle, let's talk about smallmouth, shall we? Oh man, I was I was hoping we get here. Everyone's everyone's favorite topic. Yes. Um, why don't you set the stage for this? Because you you were the one who had the idea that we ta- add, add this as an actual topic and not a banter point. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, but what are we what are we doing here? Well, yeah. So uh, I mean, obviously we're we're getting in falls uh, falls here. Right, the temps are cooling off. Water temps are starting to drop a little bit, um, and we had Matt Stefan, uh, I believe it was last week, right? Wrote a uh, wrote a little um, tip type of article about false smallmouth fishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a pretty extensive, pretty extensive tips too. He had it. Uh, he's got it pretty well dialed in. Yeah, and I mean, you know, for good reason. The guy, pretty good at catching smallmouth. Pretty good at catching um, everything. Well, true, but also. Um, He's a good dude, you know, in the North country up here, uh, spends a lot of time around Wisconsin. I think he's from Illinois originally. Um, but he's a Wisconsin dude. All right. Well, we won't hold it against him. No. Uh, but basically from that article, uh, I'm, I'm going to write a few articles here, um, about fall smallmouth fishing and just kind of figured, you know what, a better time to bring what I like to think of as my favorite bass. And I think it ranks pretty high up there for you as well. It's uh, the best you know, shed a little bass. light on it. It really is. <laughs> shed a little light on it because this is a great time of year to smallmouth fish. But a lot of people kind of get discouraged uh, in the fall because, you know, where you'd caught them in the spring and in the summer, you know, some of your tactics need to change as the water temperature moves. The fish move around a little more, uh, even, you know, day, uh, even an hourly basis in the fall. You get a warm day, it pushes it up. Um, you get another weird weather factor. It might slide them back out deep. They're, they're a lot more willing to move, and I feel like it's, it's a lot more of an intimidating time of year to fish them for people that just don't have a lot of experience doing it. So that's why I figured you and I come in, and we shed a little light on it because I spent some time on Mille Lacs yesterday um, shooting some photos for, for a few magazine and, and web pieces we're going to do, and also just kind of fishing, you know, just basically sampling that, tracking them down, you know, I hadn't been up in Mille Lacs since June. It's, I, I had some previous knowledge to go off, um, you know, of years past fishing out there. But otherwise, it was a put put your boat in the water and start piecing the conditions together, which is kind of what Matt Stephan talked about in his write-up, um, you know, to, to ultimately piece together a good day on the water. So um, I guess where we start, uh, man, I don't know. I, I kind of, what I would like to know 
personal thing is I want I want you to kind of break down what you've experienced, you know, up there on Champlain in the northeast part of the country, um, for when you really like to how you like to target fall smallies, you know, from the time the water steps water temp starts slipping down, um, and how cold the water will get, you know, to where you where you'll stop chasing them or you feel like the bite starts to toughen up. You know, because there's kind of like those weird windows on the tail end of the water cooling off before the lake freezes up. And even a little bit when the water first starts to drop in temperature, that the bite gets a little weird. Um, but then there's kind of that magic window. Like I like 65 degree water uh, down to like 50. I feel like it's, I mean, even down in the 40, like 45, it can get pretty good. But I like that 65 to 60 degree water. I feel like they get really chomping. Yeah, I, I feel like you're right, though, that when you get into the 40s, anything below 50, you get – it's not – it's not that the bite is the bite is worse. It's more isolated. You know, you're going to yeah, – you can yep. find them, and you can have a really good day, but it's much more of a – they're going to be in a specific area, and you have to target them usually a very specific way, and they're usually very much on the bottom. Yes, um, when the water gets real cold like that. But I think when it's up in, you know, anything from whatever, 65 down to low 50s, yeah, I mean, I I always just like to fish flats when that's when you've got that situation. And whether you're up shallower on the flat or out deeper on the flat, you kind of let the, usually let the day determine that. And then, you know, and also let, and then you sort of just base my bait choice on, kind of where I need to reach them on the flat and what they want to eat. Cause I think, you know, some days it's a swim bait day and some days it's a jerk bait day. And some days it'll be a swim bait day for four hours. And then it's going to turn into a jerk bait day for another couple hours. And then it'll go back oh, to being a swim bait day. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. so that's kind of my, like, I'm almost always throwing a moving bait in the fall, you know, whereas in the summer I throw a, I'll throw a drop shot a ton. I don't really pick one up very much in the fall. Usually, I'm throwing either a Kitek or a uh, or some kind of jerk bait, whether it's like an X wrap or mm-hmm. a uh, or a Lucky Craft or a Pointer. Those are probably my two. Those are probably my two jerk baits that I throw. Because I don't throw the sure. Mega Bass around smallmouth very much, because usually they're also around pike, and I'm scared of them. <laughs> <laughs> very very good point. Um, but yeah, and honestly, so I noticed that Malax in the fall, there's a, and in the summer, really, there's a window where I think it fishes strikingly like Champlain, where those smallmouth, they like to be, for me anyhow, they like to be up on the flats, they like to be, and they'll, I mean, they'll move in and out on them, but, like, the first thing I would do is pick a good-looking flat that is, you know, has some deep water near it, but it doesn't have to be all deep water, and has a, you know, maybe it's got a little grass on it, but it's got plenty of rock. Um, I don't mm-hmm. usually, I usually fish a, ra- a lot more around rock in the fall for smallmouth. I would say, um, yes, than I do than I do anywhere else. Whereas in the summertime, I think a lot of times you can find like sort of some deeper grass and stuff like that, and they'll be in that pretty good. But I mm-hmm. think in the fall, I look for, I tend to look for rock more than more than anything else, um, and I. I don't know. I feel like you get to, I like fishing in the fall because when they're biting and they're moving around, you can move around too. You don't have to fish real slow. Yes. Yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to soak for too long. And, and I feel like 
from my experience, fishing a lot of smallies all over uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin, it, it's kind of one of those things where you can move around a lot. And also it doesn't take too long to find out when one's home or if there are fish in an area. And I guess what I mean by that is say I pull up on a flat and if I'm 10 minutes into it and I haven't even seen one, uh, follow whether it's a swim bait or jerk, maybe I'm throwing a crankbait. Uh, if I haven't had a, a bump or at least had one, you know, chase me back to the boat with a small mouth so often does, they're most of the time not there. Uh, you know, I might as well move around. Yeah, just fire up the big motor, run to the other side of the flat. Um, you know, maybe the been going to that north side of the flat or something like that. You know, change it up. I don't necessarily need to keep fishing through a stretch. And that that's kind of what happened yesterday. Um, we covered a lot of water. And you basically, in the first 10 casts most of the time, we'd find out uh, we'd either hook up or we'd have one chase us back to the boat to give us confidence to be in that area. But the time that we fish for 20 minutes through an area, 30 minutes, and not have a bite, most of the time, we wouldn't ever catch one. Or we'd catch a walleye, which... Who cares about walleyes? Dumb old walleye. I know. Um, um, yeah, that's no, kind of that that. that's always my biggest learning thing early in my smallmouth chasing years is when you finally get the confidence to know like maybe the water looks the water you're fishing looks good like you know maybe the flat's got a good combination of rock and stuff on it but you're ten minutes in you feel like you've covered a lot of the good stuff you're working the bait right and you just you haven't even seen one follow your bait. Uh, you know, a lot of times that's when I'll just be like, you know what, I'm going to pull up the trolling motor and I'm going to go somewhere else because they're they're clearly not here. And that's not to say you couldn't probe through that area and probably come across a pack of fish. But this is the time of year in the fall when you're getting big, big numbers of fish on those flats. I mean, a lot of those fish that were out deep in the summer are cruising back up shallow. Um, and the, the sheer concentrations you'll find on some of these areas are mind blowing at how many smallmouth will live there. It's amazing that you can go, you can, you could drift down a hundred yard flat five, ten times, and you could catch, you know, five, ten fish every single drift. I mean, yes, and it just doesn't slow down. It it can be really amazing when you, you know, if you've got it, if it's going right, which that's probably that, and like the pre spawn are the only times where I've where I've found that you can really get that kind of just concentrated up shallow fish in a moving bait kind of action. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And um, I guess I, I got a good example of that um, from yesterday, but it, it's happened plenty of times to me before. So yesterday we got to like, it was like 38 degree air. Temp. All right. We had a pretty strong East wind blowing 10 ish, 10 to 15 miles an hour. And they were calling for the wind to lay down later in the day, and it was supposed to get up to, like, 62 for high. So we put the boat in. Water temp is about 59 and a half, um, which is a lot colder than I expected it to be. But I think um, they've had some cooler nights up there. So Dude, that it gets cold up north. It. it really does. There's and, uh, man, we, we launched the boat, and the first thing I wanted to do is I knew I wanted to go to some of those big, expansive flats, um, where the smallmouth, they spawn there, they summer right off of some of those flats. Um, and a lot of times they'll winter right off of it. So a lot of these structures, you know, they spend pretty much their whole life somewhere around there. So we went to some sharp breaks, um, which on Mille Lacs they'll get on a lot in the fall. Like, and I'm talking 
you know, nine to 20 feet pretty quick. And that's like you're saying, they got access to the deep water. Um, you can still cruise up on top of that flat in the rocks and mill around, eat perch and uh, all kinds of other stuff up there. There's still crayfish moving around. And man, we made some drifts in some really good looking water. Never had a bite. So we moved up north to a bigger flat, a slightly shallower. And I mean, Joe caught, he caught our big one. It was like five and a half in the first like two casts, right? So we made a few more drifts through there. Water temp at this point was like 60 and a half, 61 maybe. And we made some drifts through there, throwing swim baits, throwing jerk baits, dragging a tube, nothing. So we finally went back to where we started, but now the wind had let off the water temp up a few degrees. And I started marking them uh, about 18 feet of water off of those drops. And I started catching them on a drop shot. The problem was they weren't that big. So again, we figured, you know, move up shallow. So we slid up a little bit, caught some fish, still not really the size we were looking for, but now we found a pot of fish, right? We knew it in basically 10 casts, we caught six fish. So they were loaded in there. They just weren't the size we were looking for. So we made another run to uh, this point that, statistically speaking, has more rock cover. The problem with the other stuff we'd fished earlier in the day had a little bit of weeds mixed in it, like cabbage. Uh, the rocks, there's a lot of zebra mussels in Mille Lacs, but a lot of the rocks had kind of a slime coating to them. And sometimes you need that clean, that nice, clean rock, you know, and that's where they'll they'll hold on. So we made another run to this point. And the first cast, um, Patterson threw out and caught like a full pound. I mean, the the first cast, right? On this little rock spine, it's three feet deep on top. We're sitting the boat in about eight, nine feet of water. And he just paralleled down there, caught that one. About two casts later, I caught like a three and a half. Uh, I don't know, a handful of casts later, Joe caught one. So now we had three fish, all decent size, in the matter of five minutes of fishing on this little flat. And we basically worked that that little stretch. It was about a 50-yard stretch of rock. And we kind of expanded on it down a little further and rotated through a 200-yard stretch of just counting of little rock spines with a big 10-foot flat off the backside and quick access to about 25 feet of water. And we caught probably 25 smallies in an hour. I mean, it was gangbusters, but they were all three and a half to five pounds, you know, and that was one of those things. And by that point in time, the water had come up to about 66 degrees. The, it slicked off a little bit, and those fish were up in that, you know, eight to four foot of water. Um, but they're sliding around. The sheer volume of fish, because you could tell fish through an area, go down about 10 minutes later, turn back around, and through that same waypoint where we'd caught two, three, four fish before, you'd catch another three, four, five fish out of it. And those, that it's like all day, where you get in an area where they're hanging out and they're fresh fish, you know, they're coming up from the deep or going from the other side of the flat to these little particular areas, it can get hot and heavy real quick. So when you're looking for a good, so one thing we, you kind of touched on it, and I think I probably touched on it a little bit, but what do you like uh, for a good a good flat to look for if you're someone who's maybe hasn't done this very much or you know you fished a lot in the summer but you haven't but a lot of times you you know put up and you go hunt in the fall or something like that what uh sure. like you're right what's your ideal flat because for me you mentioned we've mentioned a couple things good rock 
mm-hmm. and like some depth changes. Because I I agree, you know, I like it. Yes. I like a flat that's not just flat, but a flat that's got some little ups and downs to it here and there. You know, mm-hmm. high spot to the left, high spot to the right, uh, stuff like that. I feel like they like that a lot more. Oh, for sure. And, and a lot of times, what I'll think of if, if you're fishing a lake, maybe you have more experience in the spring and they're going to spawn. Uh, or they're working on spawning, a lot of those flats or areas they'll spawn on can be really good this time of year because a lot of those spawning flats will have that combination of what we're talking about where you'll maybe have, um, you know, a decent rock clump or, a, you know, a little, maybe it's a sandier spot in four or five feet of water, but it's got some seven, eight, nine feet of water around it. And then, you know, maybe 100, 200 yards off of that, it's got 20, 30 feet of water. So those areas that you caught them in the spring, don't be afraid to look back in there because um, that st- that particular stretch we caught fish on yesterday is a spot that I know, you know, year in and year out, they spawn on that thing. There's there's little rock spines that run through it. There's those nice little subtle depth changes, um, and that's that's kind of a great starting point if you're just used to like you're saying if you're used to going deer hunting or duck hunting in the fall. Um, but now you got a day off and you want to go try to taste some smallmouth and you've never really done it. Don't be afraid to start in those areas where you've caught them in the spring. Um, if the flat has that combination of some shallow water that'll warm up, you know, those rocks will absorb that heat. Um, it'll push those fish up a lot shallower. A lot of the bait will hold up there. And you got to have access to that deep water because those fish are going to slide out there, especially as that water keeps creeping down in temperature. And I want to push out to that deeper water to winter. So they need to have relatively easy access out to those drops. And that that's that's a big key. And in the article, too, we'll have some screenshots of, um, you know, contours on various lakes of, of particular structures that, you know, are, are the ideal thing you're looking for. But I like, and it doesn't need to be a huge flat. I think a lot of times when people think of a flat, they're thinking, you know, like something that's 500 yards long and... Um, you know, relatively featureless. Some, sometimes I like one if it's maybe it's a hundred yards long, and uh, you know, it's whether it's in the middle of the lake or you know off the shoreline. Just as long as you have kind of that stair step feature, where it's got a high spot or two or three, um, you know, some whether two foot, two to four, five feet of water, then it's got another level of you know, six to 10 feet of water, and it's relatively flat in that depth range for a while before it falls into something deeper, you know, whether it's 25, 35, 40 feet of water. You just need those various levels because they'll utilize those depending on the water temp and the time of day. So that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm looking for. I like it. Uh, Bait-wise, do you throw anything but a jerk bait and a swim bait in the fall? I mean, you mentioned a drop shot, but that's kind of more of that was more of a summer thing where you were kind of missing your fi- missing out on your fish, you know. What, yeah. Uh, uh, what else I, do you I, like to? Pull I'll still out? keep a uh, I'll keep a hair jig tied on. Um, uh, of course you will. Yeah, Mr. yeah. Minnesota a, here. Yeah, it's a northern thing, but uh, I mean it, it works. Uh, what I noticed, so I, I still have a tube. Um, there are days I'll throw a crankbait, but I feel like a lot of times with the crankbait, I can get them to eat a swimbait. And I'd rather catch them on a swim bait because why not? Yeah. Um, there's times too. Uh, I'll keep a spinnerbait tied on for sure. 
chartreuse yeah, spinnerbait, uh, yep. double willow blades. Um, I kind of like a half ounce because you can bomb it and you can fish it real fast. That I'll, I'll go to that, that spinnerbait if you got a decent little chop on the water. Um, and like yesterday, I probably could have caught them on um, caught them on a spinnerbait, but I didn't have one tied on. I have a, had a swim bait. You know, it's kind of one of those interchangeable things. And you know, if you're not used to fishing a uh, swim bait and you got spinnerbait sitting around, by all means, have at it. They're, it's not like they're. Um, some people think you got to start finessing them in the fall, and I feel like that doesn't really get true until that water starts creeping closer to that 50 degree range, and you get it in the 40s. They get a little more finicky. Um, a jig and wrap, I use a jig and wrap a lot, uh, especially when they stack up on those breaks. Because um, you'll you'll mark a lot of fish. Um, again, let's just use Malax as another example. You'll mark a lot of fish at the base of those drops, you know, where it goes from 10 to 20. They'll pile up on that, and you can parallel those breaks with a jig and wrap. And it, it's the same principle as ripping a trap through grass in the spring. Uh, for largemouth, it's a it's a pure reaction bite. Even though they're cold, water's cold. They're still looking to eat. They're still looking to pack on weight for the winter. And you snap that jigging wrap in front of their face, they got no choice but to eat it. And uh, that's probably one of my favorite power fishing. It's like a finesse power technique, if that makes sense, because it's a small bait, uh, but you're fishing it real quick. Um, so that one always is pretty much sitting on my deck in the fall, uh, especially to cover water. Uh, if you're in one of those kind of searching situations, they're not really up shallow and you got to look for them a little deeper. You can fish that number seven jig and wrap real quick. And uh, you actually be surprised at the size of the fish and the numbers you'll catch on it. One thing, another bait I would mention is I've been, I've thrown a spy bait, spin bait, some, mm-hmm. not enough to be like sure that this is a great recommendation, but I've caught them on it in the summer and in the fall. And I think in the fall it could shine. And I, I, I just don't know for sure. I've caught them in the fall, but I haven't had oh, like a yeah, sure. banner kind of day with it in the fall. But I think it's something that if you're looking to maybe try something new, I would say potentially give that a shot and let me know how it works. Yeah, I've never, uh, I've never thrown one, but now you got me thinking I might have to pick up a couple and – head back out to the pond and see, do a little research, if you know what I mean. Because you know how you have a, uh, you'll have days where they'll eat the jerk bait or then they'll just stop and they'll only follow it. And maybe they still only follow the swim bait, but they're still there. I That's when I would be, if you can't get them on the jerk bait, you can't get them on the swim bait. That's when I would be, but you know they're there. That's when I'd pick up the, sp- the spin bait. Yep. And I think Especially that, I'd say if they're, if they're trailing the jerk bait. And the swim bait, you know, like yeah. they're, they're physically showing themselves. Yeah, they actually have up. interest in chasing something. Yeah, but they just don't want to commit. I think you're right. I think that that, that spy bait spin uh, would be the deal in that situation. And I, I found that to be true in the spring when you're fishing a flat in the spring and you can oh, get yeah. them to follow a jerk bait, but you they won't commit. I found them to be much more likely to commit or to bump into the spy bait. I, I just haven't done it as much in the fall, so I don't know for sure. And mostly I haven't done it in, as much in the fall because they've always just been chewing on a jerk bait or a swim bait usually. So that's uh, that's been my dilemma, but I think it's worth a look. Yeah, and I, I think we, we've made a pretty good point on it, but 
the, the ability to cover water, like don't be afraid to keep your foot on the trolling motor and just keep throwing because these fish will move on those flats. They might be holding up in like a five foot contour. You know, what, there's some nice big rocks and stuff up in, in five feet of water and you catch them there for a little while and don't, they might've just slid out to 10 feet of water and you just need to be able to continue to move with them. And that could be an hour by hour thing. They could start in the the water in the morning when it's full and when that water temp rises up they'll push up but they're going to move a lot more than you'd expect them to um, especially if you're used to fishing for them in the summer uh so keep that's why you know we keep favoring the jerk bait the swim bait uh this the spy bait would would be a good case there that uh spinner bait uh even a crankbait you can throw a crankbait too um personally i like something i like the swim bait spinner bait and uh, jerkbait because it stays, you can fish it a little higher in the water column. A smallmouth isn't necessarily a couple stuff, right? Like they're pretty used to swimming around, especially in the fall when they're, they're kind of, they're still eating crayfish, but I feel like they have a little more importance on a uh, little perch and especially in lakes that have ciscos and uh, tulabies and, you know, whatever other northern type of um, high-protein bait fish is swimming around. They're more interested in that than they are crayfish at a lot of times. So that's why also if you throw something that's not a crankbait, you know, dredge in the bottom, uh, I can roll that swim bait on the bottom. I can change the size head. I can go to a half ounce, roll it down on the bottom. I can go to a three-eighths, pick it up a little bit in the water column. I can reel it faster to speed it, to get it up higher. I can slow it down. You know, you could just, that one bait, you can cover much more of the water column efficiently and i'll do that a lot of times too you know i'll yesterday i was throwing a, a five inch megabass spark shed on a three eighths ounce buckeye uh j will head and you know there were times where i'd cast it out and let sink for a little bit and i'd slow roll it along the bottom and i caught a few doing that and then they were biting it so well i started just throwing it out and kind of steady reeling it back and you know, giving a little twitch or pause in the middle of the cadence of me reeling and catching fish that way. And I know it was only, you know, two, three feet below the surface and they were coming up and, and crushing it. So having that ability to kind of utilize the entire water column with one bait and still be a, like, you know, you're still basically hitting that strike zone is a big, big key in the fall. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. Do you think it's time to move off smallmouth as regrettable as that is? I guess. I guess so. Okay. So let's go ahead. Let's talk a little college fishing. Um, let's talk some college fishing. Yeah. So Daytona State picked up the uh, so the Southeastern Conference Championship win on Pickwick this, uh, this weekend. It's a couple of brothers, uh, James and Thomas Oltorek, and they caught 25 pounds, 14 ounces on the first day. And then right about another 10 pounds on the second day for 35 pounds, two ounces total. And uh, sort of clamped down on the wind. And uh, I tell you what, I'm I'm pretty impressed. 25 plus anywhere, especially in the fall on Pickwick. I mean, that's big time. Heck yeah. Uh, so I talked to him. We've got a sort of full breakdown of their pattern up at flwfishing.com. 
Uh, might have got bumped out of some of the top spots by the time you're listening to this, but it'll definitely be there over at collegefishing.com and be nice and easy to find there. Uh, they they basically flipped for all their fish. They had a they had a little stretch on the main lake. Well, they had a couple stretches, but one primary stretch on the on the main lake, you know, by the main channel where there was some really good current coming through on Saturday, and they were in about eight feet of water. Uh, flipping into mats with a, it's a bitters, uh, BFM, uh, which is basically like a beaver type bait. And they drop it down through there and their first bite of the day on Saturday, they said it, it bit and they, it bit while they were shaking it and sort of hopping up and down. Every other fish they caught Saturday, every other fish they caught basically the entire time came on the drop, so they would just sort of let it free spool down. Then you could feel the fish; they'd feel it go whoomp, and they let it load up a little bit. And they wouldn't even really set the hook; they would basically just, you know, lean back and pull them straight out of the mat. And they boat flipped every single one except the one that they caught that was almost eight pounds, which I guess is excusable. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, come on, yeah, guys. I guess so. Could boat flip that one too? I mean, that would have been cool. <laughs> uh, so no, they uh, they put together a really impressive. Uh, a really impressive tournament, and it was, was kind of cool. Uh, as far as, like, other notable, anything notable that happened there, uh, as far as more teams moving on, obviously there's 10 teams now in the uh, College Fishing National Championship. That's 20 total at this point. We're working our way up to 50. Um, mm-hmm. Clemson University, uh, they were more consistent. They caught 10 fish total not eight fish like Daytona State did. Uh, but Ross Burns and Isaac Nesbitt got second. Uh, they had 34 pounds, 13 ounces. So I guess that's what, like six ounces shy of a win? Mm-hmm. So it was really it, like was, that. it was really tight for them. They almost had it. There's a pretty good picture uh, with Kevin Hunt, um, you know, just as they read the weight off and how, how close it was. They had both. Both uh, both those schools up on stage for the uh, for the final crowning moment, and that's uh, that's pretty much uh, that's pretty much the college fishing wrap. Cool, cool. I uh, I suppose we can roll in BFLs now, huh? Yeah. Why why don't we? Let's let's hammer the BFLs in here. What do we got? Well, yeah. As you uh, said at the lead off of the show, we have uh, we had seven. I think BFLs this past weekend, uh, super tournaments, which rounded out the super tournaments for the year. So we're moving on to regionals and then the wild card and kicking off the action over the weekend. We had the bulldog division event on Lake Oconee. I never knew how to say it. I always called it Oconee. I think it's Oconee. Okay, cool. We'll go with that. Uh, Byron Kenny won that. He had 29 pounds, 15 ounces over two days. Uh, and he kept it pretty simple. Uh, he caught them all on a green pumpkin jig with a green pumpkin rage craw, uh, fishing docks. Pretty straightforward deal. Um, didn't catch a lot of fish, but obviously enough to take home the win. And then the next one, we had a choo-choo division event, which was obviously on Gunnersville, like they all are. Uh, Bradley Jones won that one, had 42-12, and caught them on a Spro Poppin' Frog and a one-ounce weight with a rations innovation sweet beaver and i couldn't have think i couldn't think of a better way to catch 
42 pounds, basically 43 pounds of bass in two days than on a frog and punch it because that's my deal. That's my jam. I mean, it's going to really, he could have caught more than that and that would have been better. But he could have, yes. Know, other than he that, I mean, pretty pretty he good work. <laughs> yeah, not bad. Twenty three pounds on the first day, I believe, and then whatever he had to catch on the second day. I don't have the notes in front of me. I apologize. Um, but yeah, not bad for Gunnersville, but definitely a super cool way to catch a bunch of stud bass. Um, probably the highlight I think of the weekend was the LBL event. I would say, or at also, least in my eyes. I, I, I would agree. Also, the upset of the weekend because Brent oh, Anderson man. didn't win, and it's yeah. September on Kentucky Lake. It, Wrap your head around that. <laughs> yeah, Kentucky Lake. Kyle Metzger won, caught forty-four pounds even. He won by almost ten pounds, um, and he was down. He was down by Paris, I believe. Um, through Caso Shadwalker, a little bit caught a few fish. But the, the main deal he did was a swimming, and on the final day, he had to switch to a hair jig with a Zoom Super Fluke on it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he straight up crushed them. I mean, in comparison to the rest of the field. Yeah, I, it sounded to me as though he was basically the only guy in the field who found deep fish. Yeah. And when you can do that on Kentucky Lake, that's a great recipe to win because – 90% of the tournaments on Kentucky Lake are one offshore. It's just a matter of mm-hmm. where they get one offshore. And sure, it can take a lot of looking, but if you can find it and if your fish can stay put, I mean, that's a good way to go. So congratulations so, to him. That was very impressive. Yeah, crushed. Um, moving on, we had the Okie Division event on Grand Lake. Kirk Smith won that with 35-11. Uh, he was focused on main lake points in like 10 to 12 feet of water, but he said there was very specific areas that he had to make pass to in order to get bit. And uh, his weapon of choice was a green pumpkin jig. And he also threw, because he's in Oklahoma, a biffle bug. I mean, you got to throw it in Oklahoma, obviously. You do. I think I think Tommy Biffle might actually like come after you if you're not throwing a biffle bug in Oklahoma. I don't know that for sure, but it's just what I hear from some guys. I didn't see anyone throw a biffle bug in, uh, at Grand Lake this spring, so he may have some work to do on that front. But I oh, do man. think it's a legitimate rumor. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll try that for everyone, but uh, <laughs> we'll <laughs> just keep that in mind if you're in Oklahoma. Tom Biffle's coming for you. Uh, <laughs> and then we have the Savannah River uh, Division. Uh, they, where was that tournament? Tournament was on Clark's Hill Lake. David Williams won that guy with 29 pounds, two ounces. Uh, just doing some junk fishing, you know. Caught some fish on a spare bait, caught some on a prop bait, uh, caught some on a jig, fish docks, wood, rock, grass, the whole nine yards. Uh, said it was fishing was a little tough because the lake has dropped about six feet and had the fish kind of scattered and holding on isolated pieces of cover. Uh, which is where the junk fishing came into play. Um, but job well done uh, on Clark's Hill there. For sure. Uh, oh, no, the... David Williams oh, yeah. fishes uh, on the Elite Series. Mm-hmm. Good point. Almost let that out. Yeah, he also fished the All-American this summer. So I don't know if he's – he's obviously trying to become both a BFL superstar and an Elite Series superstar. So I guess more hey, power man. to him. Yeah, why not? 
Um, then we had the Shenandoah division uh, on Potomac River. Cody Pike won that one with 30 pounds, two ounces. Uh, didn't actually get an interview with him, but according to the tournament director, he was fishing some ditches between two creeks. Was fish on a vibrating jig and a crankbait. Pretty straightforward. Um, yep. And the last one we had was the volunteer division on Douglas Lake. Uh, Brian Leonard won that one. Not Brian Leonard. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, it sound more fancy than he actually is. Okay, or, I like maybe that. he is really fancy. I don't know. I mean, who uh, knows? Maybe he's like <laughs> European royalty. <laughs> Brian Leonard, uh, twenty-seven pounds, nine ounces. Uh, same thing. He he knows that Douglas is being drawn down about eight, eight inches a day. Made fishing pretty tough. Um, but he started out catching some fish on a spook on a point in the morning. Uh, then he had to make some adjustments on Sunday, uh, ran up, run into some water and caught him on a green pumpkin jig with a chicker craw and, uh, took home. The win. So congrats to all those super division or super tournament winners and the seven divisions there. And we're moving on to regionals now. Yes, sir. Um, I, th- well, I don't know if we have one coming up this weekend or not. Uh, I would I would have to check to be sure. I will say we also scheduled the wild card. It's uh, it's out. It's it's ready for people to go ahead and start signing up and uh, get ready to fish it. The wild card, obviously, it's if you didn't make the uh, if you didn't make the regional, you can go fish the wild card. Uh, this year yes. it's at uh, Lake Hartwell, November thirteenth and fourteenth. Um, so that's your sort of last shot at the All American. Um, yep, and we side note we don't have regionals this weekend. We do have a uh, college fishing conference championship, though. Yes, the regionals will kick off the following week. Yeah, so it'll be the eighth of October. The uh, central conference championship is this weekend on uh, Carlisle, so that could potentially be uh, pretty terrible fishing, actually, from what I've heard. <laughs> I have, yeah, uh, you know, I, I had one. Carlisle's an interesting lake. I had one guy ask me. Hey, what happens if not if fifteen teams don't catch a fish? If more than if not if if fewer than fifteen <laughs> teams catch a fish on the first day, do does everybody get to fish the second day as the extra team in, or do they cut it off? I didn't actually, I don't <laughs> actually know the answer for that one, but that's an example of some extreme pessimism. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it looks like it could be tough. Um, we'll, uh, I guess we'll sort of we'll pay. It, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, hopefully some team stuns us and catches like twenty pounds a day. But that seems Which, unlikely. There, Carlisle is one of those lakes where you don't necessarily catch a lot of fish, but there are some good sized fish that live in there. Uh, from the few college tournaments I've covered, uh, it like you might catch a four pounder and a three pounder, but that might kind of a deal all right well i have uh never fished it never seen it i don't think uh yeah keep an eye out for like a potential team to get real squirrely with it on the first day bust a big bag and just roll with that for the victory okay i like it Mm-hmm. um let's see we got anything else we want to talk about here i think uh i think that's all right 
Well, uh, folks, you can follow uh, FLW on on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Periscope, Snapchat. Snapchat is uh, FLW official. Everything else, just FLW Fishing. Uh, FLWFishing.com. we got some good stuff on the site right now. Uh, the TV show has been coming out. We had our first episode on Monday. We saw uh, some uh, some Toho Giants. Next episode will be this coming Monday. So keep an eye out for that. Watch it on YouTube if you haven't, if you didn't see it at, uh, when it aired or set your DVR or something like that. It's a pretty good show. Um, Smith mm-hmm. Lake should be a fun one. Uh, what else we got, Nathan? We got an email. Ah, man. We do have an email. Well, not an email, uh, but... We got an email address. <laughs> we do. We have a way for you folks that are listening to contact us. Um, I'd like to point out because I think I forgot about it earlier, but um, with our topic of reviews, um, so obviously feel free to email us with any questions, comments, or concerns. Uh, but also, if there's anything you'd like us to review, or maybe it's something you'd like us to mention in a review, something you'd like us to look at when we're, you know, physically testing out a product. Um, something you'd like to hear back uh, we write the thing go on ahead shoot us an email at podcast at flwfishing.com and uh, we'll see what we can do we'll make it work sounds good plan Tom? Uh, that's it man yeah it's been a pleasure as always see ya see ya